This is Trinity Western University's Chapel Podcast, where our daily chapel gatherings are captured and shared for the TWU community. Whatever your day looks like today, we're glad you're tuning in. Well, good morning. What happened to the sun? (laughs) Uh, I understand that it does this a lot around here. I'm from Texas. The sun shines in Texas, so this, this, this rain stuff. But uh, the truth is, is that um, uh, the uh, countryside is greener in British Columbia uh, as a result of the rain. It was kind of like uh, Glasgow. We used to say, come to Glasgow where the people are friendly and the weather isn't. So um, it's uh, good that you're here today. I'm told by Reverend Ellis that uh, this is a voluntary chapel and you come anyway, that is rather amazing to me. And uh, so thank you for being here, and thank you, uh, Reverend Ellis, for allowing me to be here. Yesterday, uh, if you were here, we looked together at a text from Jeremiah 33. In this passage, we saw that it was promised that a Messiah would come, a Messiah who was both king and priest, We turn to New Testament texts to discover that New Testament authors and the earliest followers of Jesus declared that Jesus was that Messiah and that we do well to uh, turn to this Messiah so that we can be saved from our sins and so that we can be saved for service. Today, I've been asked to treat a text from Mark chapter 9. It's the story of the transfiguration of Jesus. Although a familiar story, I trust today that God would give us eyes to see afresh and ears to hear anew what the Spirit might say through sacred Scripture. So, I understand that the text will be displayed behind me. If you happen to have a Bible, uh, a copy of Scripture, or perhaps you have a Bible app installed on a phone or some other kind of mobile device, let's see our way clear to look at the book. Mark chapter 9, let's listen to and for God's Word as we begin to read in Mark 9, verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with Him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There He was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, It is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters or tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Parenthetically, the gospel writer adds, Peter did not know what to say. They were so frightened. When in doubt, talk, I guess. Then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud, this is my son, my beloved, listen to him. Suddenly, 
when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked Jesus, why did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it was written about him. When you study a biblical text, the first thing that you need to do is you need to put that text in context. Because a text without a context is a pretext for whatever you might want it to mean. So we see that this passage occurs in the midst of Mark. Peter has made that signal confession. Who do people say that I am? And they give Jesus the beat on the street. Some say you're this, others say you're that. But then Jesus asked that pointed question. Who do you say that I am? And Peter declares, as we saw yesterday, that he is the Messiah, the one of God. And Jesus straightway begins to rid them of the mistaken notion that he would be some kind of political uh, Messiah who would cause Roman heads to roll. Rather, this kind of Messiah is the one who surely would bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. This Messiah would reign from a cross, be buried, and would be raised. And those who would follow in His train would pick up their own crosses, denying self, following Him. Because you see, the ones that would save their lives would lose it. But Mark says, the ones who would lose their lives for the sake of the Lord and for the gospel would find it. That's the backdrop that gives rise to this episode that we just read. You see, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, the so-called inner circle of disciples who would latterly be called the pillar apostles. These three would sometimes go with Jesus, where other disciples would not go. Recall, they would also accompany Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane. They are led by Jesus up to a high mountain. And there we are told that Jesus was transfigured. And His clothes, His raiment, was whiter than anyone in the world could bleach cloth. So also, we're told that Jesus was accompanied by Elijah and Moses 
who were talking with Jesus. You've learned in your New Testament classes here that Matthew, Mark, and Luke taken together are known as the synoptic gospels. Because when you place them alongside one another, when you see them alongside one another, you're struck by both the similarities and the differences. You've also been taught that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the triple tradition. The transfiguration occurs in the triple tradition. That is to say, not only is it found in Mark, seemingly the earliest of our uh, canonical gospels, but it's also found in Matthew 17 and in Luke 9. I tell you that to tell you this. Although Mark does not say what it was they were talking of, in Luke's account, we're told that Jesus and Elijah and Moses were talking about Jesus' exodus, His departure, which would soon take place in Jerusalem in keeping with the prediction that Jesus would suffer, that He would die, be buried, and would raise. So, in the midst of this, we see that uh, Peter says to Jesus that it's good for them to be there. And we might as well go ahead and pitch tents, tabernacle. So, let's do this. Why don't we build three? One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And Mark has to tell us that Peter hadn't the foggiest thing to uh, know what to say because he was frightened. Well, to be fair, we would have been too. (laughs) Uh, If all of a sudden you go up with your master onto a mountain and he begins to keep some company that you're not accustomed to, you too would have been fearful. Talking about talking, now someone who is saying substantive things speaks. They're enveloped by a cloud and a voice from the cloud, not unlike at Jesus' baptism, speaks and says, this is my son. So he's not only Messiah sent of God, he is son of God, son of man, my beloved one. Not unlike Isaiah can speak of in Isaiah 42, my beloved one, listen to him. And then we're told just as quickly as Moses and Elijah appeared, they disappeared and all of a sudden the disciples that were with Jesus saw no one else but Jesus. And now... They go down the same mountain that they ascended, and as they do, they're doing uh, the thing that you do after class is out. Uh, They're debriefing, and they begin to talk about what it was that could be meant by the fact that the Messiah was not only to be rejected, but what it meant that He was to rise from the dead. 
And why is it that the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus joins the conversation and says that Elijah does come first. And yes, uh, he will restore all things. But why is it that the Son of Man must suffer? We know elsewhere so as to fulfill all righteousness. But here we learn that Jesus says that Elijah has come. And they've done to Elijah that which they would do. Jesus understands John the Baptist to have been the Elijah that was to come of which Malachi 4 spoke. And so this text ends by saying, even as it was written about him. The text, the context, the takeaway, the, the, the payoff. Allow me to mention three things of theological significance and import, and then perhaps three things of personal uh, or devotional value. First of all, may I speak to three things that uh, jump up out of this text that I think are of value theologically. The first is this. Jesus, in the midst of His ministry, performs many miracles. In fact, a miracle can be thought of as an enacted parable. Jesus is busy carrying out the kingdom of God in and through His person and mission. And the miraculous was a sign, a signal, a symbol, whereby people could see that Jesus was not an average Jewish Joe. So, we discover that Jesus performed many miracles. In fact, John's Gospel says, if we wanted to record all of them, I don't gather that there's place and space enough to do so. What's so fascinating about the miracle of the transfiguration is this is not a miracle performed by Jesus. This is a miracle performed, as it were, on Jesus. As Jesus is transfigured. And this becomes a signal event in Jesus' life. If we think about the mountaintops in Jesus' own life and ministry, we think of His birth, yes. Of His baptism, right. And of His death and burial and resurrection and ascension. But alongside these, we should also place Jesus' transfiguration. In fact, Thomas Aquinas thought of the transfiguration as the most remarkable of all of the miracles. For in it we discover that thin space where heaven and earth come together in the person of Jesus Christ. It's almost as if though this is an illustration of the incarnation. A second theological principle that we find in this text that's portable and we should take with us as we reflect upon this remarkable passage of Scripture is the place of Moses. Isn't it interesting? The way that this text is framed, you feel as if though you've gone on to Mount Sinai again. 
It's after six days, isn't it? You see that it's enveloped by a cloud. You see so many things on the mountainside that remind you of that revelatory experience where Moses received the commands. What's fascinating about the Gospels is that the Gospels in general, perhaps Matthew in particular, sees Jesus as a Moses type, but one greater than Moses. For, in fact, in Jesus we see the law come to its fulfillment. So, also, thirdly, with Elijah. If Moses represents the law, so Elijah represents the prophets. And even as Jesus was a prophet like Elijah, he was one greater than Elijah, so that Jesus would be joined by Moses and Elijah is a way to say that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets in His incomparable person. These are the theological takeaways from this text. But there are also some personal takeaways. Not to divorce the theological and the personal. In fact, the two go together. But it's to say that if you look carefully at this text, there are a few things that can be easily and readily applied. The first is this. That even as the disciples were led by Jesus, you and I should be led by Jesus. He has set out a path before us that we might walk in His steps. I love the new choruses. I also love those things called hymns. Do you know what a hymn is? Not H-I-M, but H-Y-M-N. A hymn. There is this old hymn that usually are placed kind of between two covers in one of these archaic kind of books that is put in the back of a seat in front of you. Do you know a hymn uh, where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him, with him all the way. The disciples are led by Jesus. The disciples are told, even as we're told, in a voice from a cloud, not only to be led by Him, but note the voice of the divine. The Father says, This is my Son, my beloved. Do what? Do what? Listen to Him. Be led by Him. Listen to Him. You, you say, how? <laughs> well, Elijah learned to listen to Him. How? In the still, small voice. Listening to Him is not as easy as we might wish 
Because there's lots of noise, friends. There, 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 there's lots of personal devices. And since we tend to live life like this, or, or, or like this, it, it's, it's hard sometimes to listen. But as you're led by Him, sometimes up on a mountain, so that you and He might be alone. Listen. Michael Card, in stillness and simplicity, I find myself in finding Thee. Lord, You mean so much to me in stillness and simplicity. Be led by Him. Listen to Him. Finally, look at Him. Fascinatingly, that after the cloud is lifted and Moses and Elijah go up again in a blaze of glory, we're told by the text that Peter, James, and John saw no one except Jesus. The writer of Hebrews, pondering upon Jesus' significance as the faithful one, enjoins us to fix our eyes on Him, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him despised the cross and endured the shame. As you file back through the doors through which you came, I hope you take with you today these portable principles. I'm going to be led by Him. I'm going to listen to Him. And I'm going to Look to Him. I'm going to lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. The maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow my foot to be moved. He who keeps me will not slumber. And in this day where we're all concerned. Whether we're passing a virus one to another. The Lord Jesus knows you, loves you, is with you, and is a very present help in time of need. So be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which outstrips all understanding, will build a garrison around your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So as you go this good day, go in grace and live in peace, and trust in the arms that will hold you. Go in grace and live in peace. Know God's love. It's height and width and breadth and depth from which no one anywhere can separate you. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that this message has challenged, 
encouraged, and inspired you as we continue learning and growing together in discipleship to Jesus. Every week, you'll find new chapel messages on our channel from local and international speakers ranging in diverse and engaging topics. So go ahead and subscribe for the latest of what's going on in chapel. Much love and happy listening.